Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Maxwell, and I'm pretty happy because I can see the poplar trees and the maple trees around here starting to yellow, and you know what that means. Deer season is creeping forward, and in celebration of deer season, we have another public land buck killer for you, um, Mr. Cody Smith. How you doing, Cody? How y'all doing, man? Good to, good to be here with y'all today. Hey, I'm glad that you decided to come on and help educate us on Delta Bucks, a subject we have not covered yet. So, uh, Ginger, bow hunter, how are you? <laughs> uh, doing great. Yeah, Cody, we're super pumped to have you on, man. Uh, as I mentioned before we started recording, we haven't really ever had anybody on to cover you know, Mississippi public land deer hunting, and especially have not covered, for the most part, ever deer hunting in the Delta. So, we're super excited to talk to you today about that. And hopefully, even with a lot of our listeners across the country, you know, even if you don't live in the Delta, I think we can all pick up some tips from you, from stuff you do, uh, to help us find, you know, better public land parcels around us that we can go in and go hunt and have some success. So I'm super, super man. excited to talk to you today, man. 
Awesome, man. So, hey, we're a band of brothers. We're family. That's how, you know, that's how I treat other, other hunters like myself. And, and if I can help anybody else with, you know, I'm not a know-it-all, but anything that I've learned, I can pass it on, man. I'm more than happy. Yeah, man. You're the, you're the exact kind of guy we like to talk to. <laughs> so, so Cody, why don't you go into a little bit of detail about yourself uh, and your background over the last few years with your uh, public land hunting, how you got into it and everything. Man, look, uh, I was a ball player coming up through high school and everything. I did not start deer hunting until I was 19 years old, and uh, I went and threw a 50-pound sack of corn out on some family man, uh, family land. I uh, used the open sight 30-30 and uh, shot my first doe ever since I've been hooked, man. And, uh, you know, growing up, that was our only little 40-acre piece of land to hunt as family. So I, I was like, man, I got to go somewhere. So my brothers uh, – started taking me out in the you know in the swamps near near our family land uh on some public you know that's where i killed my you know my next three deer and then you know i went to another spot up in some uh you know some pine hill country in louisiana and you know i took another couple deer man it's it's been rolling since then i've just i love the challenge and as much as you you have to hunt the deer you have to hunt places to get away from people and you know us public land hunters we know that and uh, I almost love that challenge more, you know, more than the killing the deer because it's <laughs> it's it's probably more of a challenge, you know. I can but agree that's, with uh, that. That's where it, that's where it got in my blood, you know, as a as a young man. So I'm still young, only 33. I I, I claim youngness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can I can agree on the fact that it can be hard to get away from folks because uh, I've been struggling with that in Georgia over the last few days, but uh, but we we ended up connecting finally, which people hear about in the outro. Um, but so you, so you live in Louisiana, correct? Yes, sir. I do. So do you hunt Louisiana and Mississippi or are you kind of exclusive to one of them? Yeah, man. Um, you know, I've, I've had for three different years, I've had leases in Mississippi and, uh, you know, as I would, you know, hunt these leases, you know, I was like, man, I just want something a little bit more challenging. So I would, I would look on my map systems and I would find, uh, you know, different public lands, you know, that are close or nearby. That way I could still camp at our leases. And uh, and that's how I was starting. I'd do a little scouting here and there, but most of my time would be on the leases. But I found that, you know, in the right place, right location, you know, getting away from people, you know, on the public land, you know, I would see as much or more deer than I would, you know, on the lease, you know, because 300 yards from you, another guy's feeding, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, you get on Pokeland, find a honey hole that's, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred yards, you know, where no one wants to go. Well, man, you've, you've done fine. You've done found, you know, where a lot of the deer can be traveling away from the pressure. So yeah, that's how I I looked at it. Mm -hmm. So as that process kind of evolved and you, you started going more into the public land side of things, what are some things that you were looking for in a public parcel? So basically what I'll do first, cause like, uh, I've been hunting the same public land in Mississippi actually two years in a, in a row. And, uh, I actually last season coming into last season, I scouted one public land, but the flooding was so bad that, uh, you know, I would, uh, at first I would have to take a kayak in no matter what. And then when I would get to, you know, the certain spot I wanted to hit dry land, you know, I had a camera about 150 yards 
in in a thicket and uh i had to paddle up to where that camera was and i put my cameras you know about seven or eight foot uh off the ground and point them down it was about a foot underwater i had to reach down and find the tree and uh reach down and take my camera off and thank god my car my car was okay camera was smoked <laughs> but uh you know and it's like you you're gonna have to figure these lands out like that but uh you know so from that one i kind of scratched that one off you know that because it's uh i think it floods year after year but the you know the other ones i found i'm like all right let me find some i don't have to deal with so much water but you know i uh any ones that have antler restrictions mm-hmm. or you know i i tone in on those one because it takes a different group of people out of there i don't like to talk bad about any hunters but anybody that has more restrictions i mean i mean some people that have to go to a place with more restrictions they kind of like oh i'm not going there you know i have to follow all these crazy rules and but me you know i follow all the rules so it doesn't bother me so that gets i call some of that riffraff (laughs) (laughs) so it, it keeps me away from the riffraff so basically i've when I'm researching, I look for that. I look for the places with the restrictions and then anywhere that, you know, has limited amount of gun pressure, mm-hmm. uh, either, you know, you know, long bow season places with only muzzleloader and uh traditional bones muzzleloader. I found some places that only allow traditional. So, uh, I look at those kind of places and then, from then, I just start looking at hard to access places. You know, once I once I find the ones I want with those restrictions, then I start worrying about my access. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mainly in the summer. You know, a lot of guys do a ton of scouting and you know looking for trails and different things. But you know, I, I know that the trails are going to change. So basically, I'm just looking for access during the summer. You know, yeah. or, or potential feeding areas or bedding. So that that brings up a question I got here. Uh, what is hard access for you down in the Delta? I, I know you're dealing with mostly flat land down there. So what constitutes hard access down there? Right. Well, one place I'm, I'll tell you a little bit about, I don't think I'm sharing too much information on this, but, uh, you know, there, there's a four wheeler trail that goes, I, I mean, it goes a way back into this public land. And, um, I actually duck off of that four wheeler trail and, um, it's weird. I, I have all kind of little tactics I use. You know, I'll park. You know, I may park 200 yards past where I really want to go in and then walk back and then walk in. But uh, where I keep a P-Row, during season, I'll keep a P-Row um, three quarters of a mile from where you park your truck. And mm-hmm. I keep along a slough in the back. And uh, you can only cross this slough. I mean, you you can only cross it with a P-Row. I mean, if you went to walk it with waders, because I actually fell in this slough. <laughs> <laughs> one night i had a buck in my piro i have a 12 man i mean a 12 foot one man piro and when i put this buck in there you know i would i didn't i didn't get the weighing but i would say well i did weigh him he was 175 pounds dressed out so i'm not sure how much he would exactly i would say he's over 200 pounds yeah. but when i put him there he was there was no room for me so i actually had to wade across the thing up to almost my chest to get across this slew but anyways Whew. it's like island over there so you know that's unless you're doing what i'm doing you're not getting over there well you know that knocks man that'll knock 80 percent of your pressure out i would say because i mean you got to have you know 
a little craziness in you to want to do that. So, but that opened up so much more land. You know, I had almost 300 acres that, you know, the whole hunting season I had seen, you know, during boasting, I seen nobody back there. And then gun season, you know, once I killed that one buck, I had already, I had reached my limit because I killed two on uh, the lease. So I didn't go back in there, but, uh, man, that's, that's, that's what you'll have to do if you really want to get away from people and you, you know, you, you can get into some uh, older age bucks back in there, mm-hmm. you know. Now, I know that Jacob typically has quite a few questions about access. So, so Myers, you got anything there? Yeah. So one thing I was going to ask is how often are you using waders, hip waders, or just chest waders when hunting out there just on an everyday basis? Yeah. Um. Typically, I'll, you know, I'll bring my, my lacrosse boots, which are, what, 18 inches, but uh, that gets me to most places. I do have a set of hip waders that, uh, that'll get me, you know, because late season, the slews will rise up a little bit, and I can get through them. Um, but once I, once I get a, over across that one slew that I hunt, man, uh, last year, it flooded from February till late season. You know, the spot I killed the buck before the year before was 600 yards back in there. I could not hunt it. I was I was going through there with my Piro trying to find ridges, and it was all flooded. And uh, I ended up having to hunt right on the big slough. There was only 30 or 40 yards of dry land, but that's where all the deer were. They would just, you know, travel up and down it. But, uh, man, a, a set of hip waders definitely um, – and it, it, any kind of kayak or P-Row, man. Uh, one place, I always bring my kayak with me. But uh, my P-Row, I leave it chained to a tree way back in that uh, in that swamp, man. Because uh, I do not want to be dragging it, you know, back and forth. But uh, mm-hmm. it's tough, man. It's, it's tough. But to me, the reward's worth it, you know. So any other public land guy it hardcore, they'll understand, so. And I've actually seen deer out of my P-Roll. I, I paddled up on a seven point, you know, right right on the edge of the slough. And he just stared at me like, and I just, I couldn't get my bow out of my case. I, and I, so I learned right then I will never put my bow in my case until I get to my truck. <laughs> and I will leave my release on my hand because he stood there and just stared at me because, you know, I would paddle. As I was paddling no steam, I just, I stopped paddling. I just drifted and, man, oh. Uh, met the requirements too that's what uh <laughs> kind of upset me you know <laughs> yeah. so where, where i hunt it's 15 inches wide or an 18 inch main beam and in the delta you know that's typically gonna be a three-year-old buck or older you know so uh you're you're shooting a mature buck um you may have an occasional two-year-old that reach that reaches that requirement but it's probably slim i got a question for you, just overall general with public land you know, what, what is something that's the most appealing for you when it comes to hunting public land versus doing a lease? Man, it's, it's the story, man. I, I love being able to tell a story and, uh, and that's, you know, a lot of life, man. You, you walk into work, you walk into a store and you meet somebody, you're telling them a story and, uh, you know, nothing against private land hunters. And, uh, you know, I do it myself and now, now I use my private land that I lease that I have know for the the children and my wife but uh, i love the story that i can you know get out of public land and the challenge and you know sharing what i had to go through i know i didn't just walk up to a box stand sit in there 
you know, and watch a food plot for, you know, three or four hours, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not talking bad about people that do it. It's just to me, you know, hunting's more about the story. So, yeah, I'm right. We were talking about that before we got on. I'm right there with you on that one. I'm talking about that swamp that I hunt and I'm like, man, I know there's deer just right next to the parking lot, but something about me, I just got to walk all the way back in there and try and get hypothermia and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, so now, now that we've kind of gone over your, at least your selection of a public parcel, something I'm always real curious about asking our guests is just about like kind of the habitat that you're hunting. Uh, I'd be real curious to know like kind of what, what the landscape is. Like, are you hunting a vast unbroken timber that's pretty open? You got thickets here and there. What are we dealing with? Um, you know, I'll, you know, I've learned a lot in the last two years from hunting this one public land and, and you know, it's going to take you a couple of years. And I, and I, I realized that first year bone dry, great season. You know, I was able to get into, you know, some, some old actually ponds that were bone dry, you know, it was two, three acre ponds. And, uh, and I was able to, you know, I would do observation sits, you know, and I would actually, you know, climb up in a, a cypress tree and uh, I would just bring a lock on. I would jump up, grab a limb, have those, you know, everything on my back, jump up, climb up to the top of this, you know, these short cypress trees and just hang a lock on. And I would almost give up one hunt to uh, do an observation sit. And I would see where the deer are coming out, these thick parts on the other side. But uh, mm-hmm. so, but this year it's all flooded. So now I had to change my tactics. And uh, I just know the, these deer walk the, these slew edges. You know, that's where you know, a lot of your, your acorn trees are. And, uh, you know, your pin oaks and stuff like that, they'll, they'll be along these sloughs. So, you know, they're coming to feed there. So I would get somewhere between these ridges and then I would try to find like a, a thick area. Cause somewhere, some places back in there, if it hasn't flooded, it'll have, you know, three or four foot grass beds. And that's where all the deer were bedding up and they would just travel out to these, uh, these sloughs. So I would actually, according to the wind, I would hunt each one or the other side of these sloughs so um they didn't have a lot of briar thickets where i was hunting this one but man anywhere you can get near a thicket between a thicket and some some something what they're feeding on acorns or whatever or you know and you know young briars they like to feed on those so you know they're going to be laying up in there so the thicker oh, yeah. the thicker the place the the nastier the bucks are going to be so mm-hmm so you have kind of patches out there that are going to be thicker than the surrounding woods. Are, are you looking at like maybe like a little high spot with some pines or is it just a spot that water dried up and you had some, some underbrush grow up? Like this, this one I, w- I was telling you about, I've hunted it for two years. Um, you know, now I know how to hunt it when it's flooded and now I know how to hunt it when it's, when it's not flooded. And uh, there's actually these big, you know, cypress flats, I call them. And it's real spongy with the cypress moss that is fallen and the cypress leaves that, man, when you walk through there, it's so quiet. But uh, anytime it gets near water, like that's a waterfall, you know, like a pond or a lake or anything like that, it, they'll have thick grass in there. And I find that they want to bed up somewhere around that. But then they'll come out and just kind of meander through these uh, little, I call them cypress swamps, man. And uh, so I just... Sometimes I'll just jack up in a in a cypress tree and just kind of like during gun season where I'll see a big wide open view. Bow season, I try to get anywhere where 
um, you know, thickets funnel towards these uh, these water areas. Because, you know, the deer will walk straight through the water. I have a doe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she's up to her neck in water, rock, walking right in front of my camera when it flooded. And <laughs> what reason she's in there, I have no clue. I mean, she could have got spooked. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, I found that they will walk around them typically so anywhere anywhere you can get around these waterways they're going to travel on the edges of them yeah that's another so, thing i was i was wanting to ask about is what what is forming your your pinch points down there because we've talked to some other people um jeff homan comes to mind who doesn't really look at topography and stuff but he instead kind of looks at it like a satellite image and finds those terrain edges or not terrain edges uh uh, habitat edges where like two different wood wood types meet or something like that or water or something on the ground that funnels deer and it, it kind of sounds like that's what you're doing as well uh maybe like if i'm understanding correctly the water is funneling the deer like they're trying to avoid walking in the water absolutely um now the other public land that i have uh scouted here recently uh this summer that I, i'm actually going to be headed out there October the second and third, um, and it's a lot of blocks of just thickets that the government plants, and uh, it's a lot of um. I couldn't actually tell you what kind of oaks they are, but they're real brushy oaks, mm-hmm. and uh, they only go about 12, 15 foot high, and I'm talking about the thickest stuff you could ever imagine going through, and uh, they come out to these crop fields. Well, what I've found is they have ditches that the government has cut through some of these blocks. And uh, you're going to have to get in those ditches, and you're only going to be able to get, man, probably eight foot up. So, you know, I'm going to have to hunt a certain wind, you know, in the different locations that I set up in. And then... uh, and I'm going to have to tuck myself away. So you, you're going to have to use diff- different tactics for different areas. But uh, any kind of lanes, man, any kind of lanes or pipelines or anything like that, but finding these little sloughs or something or ditches that come off of them, uh, man, that's that's what you're going to have to hunt. And sometimes you might even have to hunt off the ground, which with archery equipment is going to be pretty tough. But mm-hmm. this is what's gonna, how it's going to have to happen. Yeah, that's a big challenge for, at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening out there who hunt these more flat, you know, river bottom type places where it's it's a little bit monotonous. There's not a whole lot going on as far as like habitat diversity. There's no hills or anything. So it's like I get into a place like that and I'm like, well, where do I go to funnel the deer? It's like, what what out here will will funnel the deer? Um, and earlier you mentioned like an island earlier. Um, I'd like to kind of jump into that a little more. What are these islands like that, that you're hunting? Um, are, are you looking at small islands, big islands? Are you looking for that island to have a connection? I'd I just like you to like really jump into that and tell me what you think. Like this island that I'm, that I'm hunting, that I'm talking about, it actually, it separates, like I said, about 300 acres or acres of uh, public land but then on the back side is butted up private land so and i even you know i'm not scared to talk to local people you know so um i actually went around because there was a actually a hundred acre block of 
like secluded public land that was surrounded by private. So I, but there was a big lake on one side of it. And, you know, I asked, uh, some of the, I walked up to a camp and, uh, you know, I talked to the owner and was like, man, can I get access? Uh, maybe pay you some money to launch in this lake and go across and hunt this public land. And, you know, he was like, man, the, the owner of the lake will not let anybody launch in this lake. <clears throat> Excuse me. Unless they're, you know, friends of the family or such. So, uh, you know, stuff like that. Don't be scared to talk to, you know, locals, but talking to that guy, he told me, he said, man, all this backside, uh, these people do not kill anything under 140 inches. I was like, really? Said so he said, no, man. This is these guys are serious, and, uh, and a lot of you know big money people, as I would say. And uh, so what that told me was, look, if I can get between where the public land pressure is, all right, I can get over here. So some of those big bucks that these guys are not even shooting, just say like a 125, 130 inch three year old, they're not shooting him. If I can catch him on the edge over here on public land, you know, he's all mine. So, you know, I, I just look at those different eyes, talk to the locals. And uh, so it's not, I would say it's not technically just an island, but it's it's an island away from public access. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Because it's just one big slough that kind of wraps and meanders on through there. So the only way to cross it is if you have a, you know, you know, some type of boat or something. And, and I'll walk it. I've walked, man, almost two miles down the edge of this thing to see if there was anybody else crossing. And uh, nobody worries about it. They all take the four-wheeler trails. And I'm not going down a four-wheeler trail. It's just, you know, uh, some people do that. And I'm sure there is, uh, you know, success back there. But that's where 90% of your people are going. So I go the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So we, we talked about map scouting quite a bit earlier. Um, when you're map scouting, I, I want to get to what you look for in a minute. But one thing I'm really curious about is in your map scouting, do you try and predict where people are going to be hunting on a map and then avoid those areas accordingly? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll, you know, I'll look for different you know parking areas. Um, man, I'll be honest with you. Anywhere I can find water access – to me, that's knocking probably 80% of your people out. Like if, if I have to have water access to get into this part of this, this piece of uh, public land, uh, I'm going for it, man. It's, it's a little bit more work. It can get sketchy <laughs> at times, <laughs> especially if it's freezing cold, you're bundled up. But, um, man, I, I take all safety precautions. I don't care if it's four or five foot deep, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm probably wearing my life jacket. It's, you know, if if I know it's not like over four or five foot D, I'm definitely wearing my life jacket or something like that. But I look for water access, man. It, even when I go to like Missouri or somewhere like that, I, I do the same thing. And, uh, you know, as I'm still young and healthy and, you know, God's blessed me with a, with a body that I can survive the elements, I, I'm going to go to those hard places and, uh, I'm going to look for those mile long walks and stuff like that. So, you know, you're just cutting down your pressure. I mean, we, uh, as public land owners, we, uh, we believe that and we know that. So, um, but in Mississippi man, uh, it's just, it's just different. You know, you can get around farmland with its big blocks of timber 
and uh you, you know man it would be so easy to walk down the edge of this field but you're on you're on private land so unless you can get a hold of that farmer and ask for access and uh you know sometimes they're okay with it sometimes they're not you know it's according if they're hunting that field you know just walking 10 yards inside the tree line and it take, makes it so much tougher but uh but if you can get around the back side of some of these that are over a mile long to the back side of these blocks you uh you're getting into some areas where not a lot of people are going yeah that's that's pretty slick i, I like how you use access like you do i mean you, you look at it from a perspective that me and andrew definitely look at it as well you know figuring out where you think the hunting pressure is going to be at and make your make your own moves to that now i've got a question for you talking a little bit more about map scouting is when it comes to scouting maps and just looking at aerial maps and everything are you a guy that will are you looking for larger uh features on a map that really gets your attention that you want to go and dive into or are you looking for more subtle features uh that maybe the average guy isn't going to be able to see or not understand when he first looks at that map right um i'll, I'll use for instance one uh public land i've hunted i mean uh, i've scouted this summer um there's a big you know thicket in the middle that you can tell is a short brush and all around it one side's big timber and the other side's kind of swampy but you see this long strip that probably goes about 200 yards and it's only probably 65 yards wide and uh it's kind of filled with little cedar trees you know i've looked at maps long enough i can pick cedar trees out cedar trees are telling me all right, deer are bedding under cedar trees. They love to bed under it. They love to make scrapes under it. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm going to go where those cedar trees are. Well, of course, when I go scout this one, you know, back in, I think it was first week of August, I went and scouted this one. I come down to one side along a creek, easy walking. I come to this side of that, uh, that little clearing. I seen two trees that had limbs cut. So that told me, all right, well, they, they got to be coming here. So I crossed it. Now I'm going to have to walk through the swamp to get to the other side of the, you know, the 65 yards, you know, get into some like thicker, maybe not as big openings on that side of this clearing. And uh, I found no sign of anybody. Now it's going to be tight. I'm going to have to, you know, you know, hunt it on a, a little bit different wind than what the other guys will be able to hunt it. And, that's kind of what's tough with public land too, man, is, you know, my wind might be right, but the guy that, you know, jacks up a hundred and so yards away that I don't know is there, his, his wind might be poor and he's, you know, blowing the deer out. But, uh, so that's what I look at. I'm not, I will not go on that other side now that I know those guys are coming down the Creek and they're, and they're accessing this. So I may have to walk through this swamp. It's going to be tricky. It, you know, I may have to get some hip waders to get through there, but you know, I believe my success would be a lot higher on the backside. So that's just different things. Mm -hmm. I think things I look at and, you know, um, like I said, I found the clearing on the maps, man, it was great. But in my mind, I'm like, all right, somebody's going to probably be in there. So now I have to look at, you know, a little bit harder, you know, access point to get in there. So, uh, you gotta always have a plan B, but as hard as you look at these maps until you put foot down, you know, it's all that little stuff you're not going to notice. Like, man, if, all right, how many guys are coming through this side? How many trees are they hunting on this side? You know, but uh, using the map, you can get in a general area, and it, and it, it can pretty much get you where, all right, 
this is where the deer are going to be traveling. Now I'm going to have to set foot to find out where people are at. So that's that's what gets a little tricky. <laughs> yes. No, no, that's spot on, dude. I mean, that's the one thing that I always try to pay attention when I look at a map is not only how the deer are going to use it, but again, how do you think hunters are going to access? What are they doing and what can I do differently from other guys? Um, so, I mean, I'm glad you kind of hit on that. Now, you know, kind of getting a little bit more into maps, kind of going to take one of Andrew's questions away from him. Uh, you know, you, you talked about looking for, you know, water access. You talked about looking for maybe clearings and these little islands and stuff, you know, just isolated spots on a map. What else on a map, when you see it, you're like, oh, this is going to be money. You know, this is a spot I need to dive into and go scout or whatever. You know, what is something like that on a map and what gets you excited when you're looking at maybe a new property uh, when you're aerial scouting, especially down in the, you know, the Delta or lower parts of uh, Mississippi? Right. Uh, it's it's terrain change, man. You'll, uh, you know, anywhere that you can get around a, you know, a pine thicket or you can, you know, any kind of terrain change from swamp to hill, you know, the base of that hill, you know, they're going to be traveling. Then they're going to be traveling, on, you know, up on top of the hill. But, uh, you know, some of these bucks, man, they want to travel in the nastiest stuff, you know, where you think that you're like, there's no way a deer wants to come through that. You know, they're they're coming through it. You check your trail camp, you know, photos. And uh, if, you, if you're if you able to put on, some of these you cannot put trail cams on. So you have to check. I think the wildlife refuges you cannot, management areas you can in the state of Mississippi. Um, but, man, you just look at it. If the deer's legs, you know, he's got two, three foot, or, or not two, three foot, about a foot of uh, mud on his legs. You know, all right, you can kind of tell he's coming through that swamp for some reason. So, um Sometimes you'll think, man, he's just going to be on top of this ridge. Absolutely not. Not out there. And uh, he's just going to go through some of the nastiest stuff. But, uh, man, I like terrain changes. Uh, but if you can get in there and find some, some some thickets, you know, you look on your map, sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, you know, a lot of, I don't know, I guess I, I've been able to kind of see, because sometimes you can tell by the, the colors of the trees, you know. And just the shape mm -hmm. of the trees on your map. That's how I found cedars. So, your know, cedars is almost like a perfect circle, man, that you'll find out in these little uh, clear-cut, like little clear-cut brush areas. So, uh, I, I try to get on public land close to thickness, man. Um, and anywhere I can find on that map, you know, that I can tell where it, it's getting a little thick, that's, that's, that's where I'm probably going to go. <laughs> so... Hard walking on well, us, but it's good for the deer. Yeah, well, of course. Well, that's one thing I want to break down is let's talk early season, like archery season, and then let's talk gun season, okay? Yeah. So I don't know really the season dates. Or what, what are the season dates this year in uh, Mississippi, if, if you know off the top of your head? Actually, if you want to hunt North Delta, it's going to be October the 1st. And uh, that's where I hunt the North. The South, because of the flooding this year, Um mm -hmm. I want to say that it's October 15th, but it's they're shutting, I think, December 31st, maybe the last day. Don't hold me to it. You may have to research, but I just I know the ones that I hunt in the northern uh, Delta. Now I'm clear to go with the uh, October the 1st through January 31st. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's time to dive into bow hunting. Uh, you know, I'd like yeah. to talk to you. What, what's it like different? Like, what is your tactics like during bow season? How are you going about hunting it? And again, you're you're not seeing that many guys during archery season, correct? 
Right. No, uh-uh. um, I want to say that last bullet. I did a lot of bow hunting on my private piece last year. I was chasing one, one decent buck. And, uh, but I did get out the year before a lot of bow hunting in that, in that one area. Um, man, you, we all know water acts, you know, water during a dry part, the year before that was very dry. You know, I just found some, this sluice so far back, man, the deer just, they're cool as a cucumber walking down the edge of this and then dipping off, grabbing them a drink and then moving, moving on. So uh, I would just kind of find where they where they dip down in this little slough and, and get get some drinks man i was set up there uh, uh like i said that one buck that i paddled up on see i'll hunt man i hunt to at least 10 30 11 when i'm on public land and then i'll come out from 11 to 1 1 30 and then i go right back in so uh i try to get all all this money from my time but uh you know he was he was on the edge of this water at 11 o'clock you know, middle of the day, early season, bow season, edge of these water, uh, waterways, man. Uh, if you get into uh, duck season, I found this out. The deer do not like to move until the the duck hunters are done shooting. Um, hmm. I it's it's crazy, you know. Which which I hunt one of these public lands. I hunt probably 250 yards from some you know where the duck hunters are and uh i'll hunt further off and then you know come if i haven't seen anything 9 9 30 i'll start easing my way back to a, a back spot along the edge of that that pond that, that they well, it's it's like a flooded cypress lake out there and uh you know i'll move back towards that you know around 9 30 10 o'clock and then i'll hunt midday and man i've seen all kind of deer right around that time when you'll see you'll hear the mud boat start cranking up moving out and deer start moving it's almost like they 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 know it man they know all right that's the second time this boat's cranked up they're leaving so uh i've seen a lot of midday action so if you're anywhere near duck hunters or anywhere that you know duck hunters are and don't don't be scared to hunt near them but you may have to hunt midday so interesting but instantly yeah. i have a spot that just popped into my head when you said yeah. that so yeah. interesting i'm definitely gonna have to try yeah. that out <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's and, and that's stuff that you'll learn the more time you spend and it, it, it may take you three years to kind of learn a spot but like you know and no credit to me in a way but i could go back where i i've killed two bucks uh the last two years and four hunts and these bucks uh, we're probably five to 600 yards apart. And honestly, I believe that they actually have the same genetics. You know, one, I was told by a biologist, you know, and this, this kind of can knock a lot of people out. You know, you have to go check your deer in. You have to cut the dog bone out. You have to age, you know, try to age them, give an estimate age. You know, and I, I can get a deer somewhere around five and a half. That's about as far as I can go with them. And luckily the biologist was there and uh, he's like, man, do you know what you killed? And I was like, uh, he, he's an old buck. He's like, how do you think he is? He said, I said, man, I'm, I'm writing five and a half because as far as I know how to judge him. He said, no, man, uh, I can tell you right now this deer is in the double digits. And uh, the buck probably only scored a hundred and I think 16, 18 inches, but you could tell he had downsized. So, mm -hmm. and that's where I was telling you, I was on the edge of, you know, I was probably four or 500 yards from the private land. 
So this deer may be coming out on these private guys and they just don't want to waste a tag on him. And uh, so he's, he's an older buck just roaming around, around out there. That's cool, but, uh, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So I'm not scared. If you're doing the right thing, you're not going to be scared to hunt places like this. Now, if you're some guy that's shady or, you know, what I call riffraff, you know, you're not going to want to go out there because you have to go get these bucks in. But, uh, but anyways, man, it was so cool. Cause these bucks now I have them, uh, on my wall in my garage. And, and when I put them, the oldest one up top and the youngest one under him after I skull mounted them, I'm like, man, their racks look so similar. And I killed them 500 yards apart. And they were both fighters. Both of them had scars on their faces. Both of them just were just, I call them bruisers of the swamp, man. And it was like, it was kind of cool because the racks looked the same and their personalities were the same. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to believe that they were father and son, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was pretty cool. Something I'm pretty curious about real quick, and I meant to ask this earlier, but I forgot until now. Um do you have a lot of problems with like bad swirling winds or weird thermals and stuff? Uh, just, just can't seem to get a consistent wind or, or figure out how the thermals are acting in your swamps that you hunt. Um, not, not really. I haven't, I haven't really paid a ton of attention to that. You know, I'll just, of course, you know, sometimes you're trying to hunt a north wind or something like that and then all of a sudden here it comes from the east and you're like what what is going on here but uh man i i really don't you know i put myself on the edge of a lot of these sloughs too so the deer have to travel one way or the other so i put myself in a position where it's like you know almost not any wind will be good but a lot of winds will will be good you know according to where I'm setting up on these sloughs. But uh, I really I really uh, haven't paid a ton of attention to the swirling winds, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just have different spots where, I, you know, a north or a south wind, and uh, it's basically how I try to set up a lot on the north wind, especially when I'm hunting, you know, towards the rut. But, uh, yeah, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to the, to the swirling winds. It just... Now, once I get out here this year, I'm hunting a lot of farmland, so it's going to be totally different. There's nothing blocking out there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. it's thick, it's the, it's, the brush is not very high, so if if I try to get up, you know, 12 foot, if I get lucky and find a thicker tree, still I'm going to be a, almost above everything. So it's going to be different, not a lot blocking me. So, But that's why I use no, nose jammer. <laughs> oh i hear you yeah i hear you man i believe in that that crazy stuff i smell like a vanilla cake going in there but oh yeah man, it smells like that. a snickerdoodle or something yeah. like that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those little cookies um oh, yeah. yeah so I, I actually used to use that stuff um and i've i'd i'd put it on my boots and I've, i'd have a uh, deer all the time like trailing me to my stand yeah i mean yeah. younger deer most of the time but still it's pretty cool um, I don't, I don't promote them, but man, I, I, I had a buddy turn me on to it and I was like, there is no way this stuff works. And man, I'm telling you, I've had three or four does, I mean, right dead downwind of me. And they would kind of tell them, like, pick their head up a little bit. Like they, they smelt something, but it did not alert them. And I was like, all right. I'm like, Ooh, that smells pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <yep. laughs> 
Jacob, you got anything on the on the wind situation? No, because I think you just got to deal with that wherever you're at. I mean, early season only yeah. sucks no matter where you're at, uh, unless you're in Kansas that. and you just yeah get some and, straight line wind. And to be honest with you, man, it's it's when you hunt a lease, it's so it's not. I don't want to say it's easy. It's easier to predict your deer. Man, a lot of these deer just roam. I found that yes, you have trails, but it's not like the Midwest or places like that where you know you have cow trails where these deer you know they're coming down this. These deer roam, they scavenge, they just go wherever. So you may set up one way and you're like, why in the world are the deer coming from this way? It's like there's no way, there's no reason for them to you know come here. But you know it's just it's just hard to judge. So you just got to do your best to be scent free man i take it i take it to extremes too man i you know i wash my clothes i air dry them outside i put them in my tupperware boxes i layer them down with baking soda uh i do not wear i'll even if i'm driving in my truck i'm wearing regular clothes that i have washed those and scent free and then i do not put my hunting clothes on until i open my truck door i go to the back of the truck i may be freezing <laughs> I may be freezing, but I'm not putting it on. I'm not taking any chances, uh, especially out there, because man, that's time's limited when you're, you know, you're a forty-hour blue-collar guy. Mm-hmm. So time is precious. So uh, I'm gonna make sure that I'm my scent is knocked down as best as possible. You know, just in case I do catch some swirling winds. But I found these deer scavengers, man. They just go everywhere. Now, so, yeah, that's a- well. Go ahead, Jacob. No, I was gonna say that's exactly what we saw in Tennessee on this velvet hunt, hunting like river bottoms. Is like I told Andrew this: the deer, there was no, there was no method to the madness on what they were doing. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, there were we were hunting around some ag, so they were going to the ag field. But when they were in the timber, it's like they would scatter, and you know, you'd find some trails that are ten ten feet wide because the deer had just kind of come through there so much and just kind of compacted all the mud and everything. But you didn't know if it was three or four does doing this, or there's a hundred deer in there. But when you'd walk through right. the swamp, there was trails coming from every direction most times. And there was no, I'm like, I could never understand why they were coming from this direction to that direction. Or why they were coming from this direction to that direction. Because it wasn't like they were following any kind of terrain feature. They weren't necessarily following any kind of vegetation line or habitat line. It was just crazy. So I, I can relate with that because yeah. I had never experienced that until I hunted Tennessee. Right. Oh, yeah. It, so, um so in Tennessee, there's you, there was some swamp bottoms or I guess river bottoms. Oh yeah, yeah, Mississippi yeah. River bottom. Oh yeah, okay. cool, cool. Yeah, my so, buddy picks yeah, it's, all the time. He's like, man, you're mm-hmm. you're from swampy area. I mean, I'm not like Kunas South in Louisiana. We're more like <laughs> we're more like uh, in the the tip of the boot on the east side. Like we're not you know straight gator hunters. I guess where I'm from, but uh. <laughs> Man, my buddy will pick at me. He's like, he's like, man, we hunt swamps down here. He said, you go up to North Mississippi and hunt swamps too. Like, why? Why do you do that? And I'm like, I just feel comfortable there. That's what I know. That's just uh, you know, yeah. You know, I, I don't mind hunting some pine thickets or some hard, you know, some hard woods or something like that. But it's just something about getting in that swamp, trying to get on the edge of a thicket because. Man, if you can slip up on a thicket, especially in the month of December in, in that delta, and get get quiet, get on the good side of the wind, man, you can even call. I've, 
I, uh, that old buck that I shot, uh, which I had my little, you know, tinks out there, but, uh, and when it gets probably about 30 minutes before dark, that's when a lot of those big ones just start roaming. And, uh, you know, I hit my doe bleed a couple of times. I give a couple aggressive grunts. I let it sit for about 15 minutes and man, that sucker come out of that thicket. And, uh, when he come out into that little dry cypress lake, uh, and he had ears pinned back, ready to wear somebody out. And uh, so they do get a little aggressive in the Delta. They uh, they will, at the right time, you can't call to them. So it's, it's pretty neat when you can drag one of them out the thicket. But they will lay up there all day long and come out right right at dark. So, yeah, man. Well, that brings it. Well, that brings up another question, and I don't know what Andrew was going to ask, but when it comes to like rifle season, you know, the pressure kind of kicks up a little bit out there. I'm guessing, uh, especially from like what you had mentioned before we started recording. But what is like, what are you doing during those rifle hunts to try to put yourself in the right position uh, to be able, to, you know, kill yourself a good deer? Um. Well, like like this one, man. I've just. And I, I, I've really, unless it changes this year, knocking on wood, I've stumbled upon a honey hole. It's just, but like I said, it could change at any time. Some guy could catch on to what what I'm doing, or you know, or get the same idea. But uh, and ri rifle season, I hunt with a 35 Whalen, and when I hunt in these swamps, I do not want my deer running. Okay, I, it is single shot, but when I hit them, they they're not running. Cause you oh, do yeah. not want, you do not want to be going in these woods and these, uh, in this thick swamp and you have no clue where you're going. So I try to get them dropped, <laughs> but, uh, and man, I, I never hunt where I can, where I can see over, you know, I, I say a hundred yards. Now when I hunt, hunted this, uh, dry cypress, like I could see clear across it at like 250 yards. But, um, you know, I try to get, you know, where I can, you know, shoot. I don't know, up to about 80 yards or something like that. But I've been lucky with hunter pressure there, so I'm good there. Now, this other public land that I'm hunting, it's going to be a traditional muzzle litter. If you come to Mississippi and you want to hunt uh, these wildlife refuges, there's a big group of them. Uh, one of the big ones, which I do not hunt, is panther swamp. And uh, if, if almost everybody knows panther swamp. Yeah, I've even heard of that place. It's like Tinsaw in Louisiana. I choose not to hunt it because when you go, the, the Orange Army is there. Uh, even if you get a draw hunt, it's, they're there. Not that you can't kill big deer, but I like to target these smaller ones. So while all the gun hunters are in these bigger ones, I'm going to the smaller ones. But like I said, this National Refu Refuge group that I've got onto this year, they only allow 14 days of traditional muzzleloader. So... uh you know, that sparked my interest right there. So I'm actually I'm actually either going to borrow one or go out and purchase one because I, I do not own one uh, since Mississippi has gone to, you know, the single shot uh, 45 caliber uh, gun. So I'm actually uh, I'm excited to see how that works this year and the challenge that it's going to present, you know, seeing how many actual people come out with muzzleloader this year. Um, but what's great about that, if you do want to come hunt the Delta, you know, typically the Delta rut is anywhere from the 12th through Christmas, somewhere in there. Some some is a little earlier, some later. But, you know, that muzzleloader is over December 14th. I think it's the 1st through the 13th or 1st through uh, 
to 14, somewhere up in there. And uh, so you still have some good rut time to be in there with your archery equipment uh, in the Mississippi Delta. And that's that's rare, you know. So you have a good shot at, you know, killing a big buck with your bow. And plus, uh, I would imagine once that muzzle loader is over, I mean, your pressure is going to go way down. So yeah. for those late late season archers. So I got an interesting question for you. This is one that I don't think we've asked before, but this is something I want to start asking guys like you who we have on who have experience killing a lot of big deer. And I, uh, I think I'm just going to call it like the spot in the spot question. So we've gone over kind of the general kind of areas that you're – hunting these deer at like edges of sloughs you're looking for the thicker stuff all that stuff uh i would i'd like for you to explain like maybe just pick one buck that you had and kind of explain how you set up to kill that buck like you you got to quote unquote the spot that you were going to but how did you pick the tree that you were going to get in how did it play out you know were you set up in some weird way were you set up for that exact shot just kind of how how it went when you got to the tree and you assessed everything around you in order to, you know, present the best opportunity possible if that deer had come through there that day. Right. So and it's a really cool story from last year. And um, and this is why I love hunting public land because I, I probably couldn't tell a story like this on private. But uh, so where I, you know, chained my P-Row up on the edge of the slough, you know, I had the option to hunt the edge of that slough, but there's, there can be human access uh, to get to that part of it. Cause I, I walked to it, even though I have to wade if water's up, you know, to get, I have to wade through two sloughs to get to where my Piro is on the higher ground. So, you know, that first morning I went in, I crossed it. I just parked my Piro on the side of the slough. And if, uh, you may see it on one of my pages and I just climbed a tree right there and, uh, I hunted all day, all day till dark. And, you know, around four 30, I had a doe coming down the ridge, and this is when it was all flooded. Like I told you, this year I had to hunt it a lot different or this past season. And, uh, you know, I knew the slough going, you know, to my left, I only had about a 200 yards left. So a doe's actually walking down, and I see a big buck behind her, and he stops, and he's raking the tree. She's looking at me, and uh, I'm like, man, this is it. She's going to walk right in front of me down the edge of this slough. And for some reason, she decides to turn and run the other way. So I was like, all right, so maybe this isn't a good idea to hunt this loo, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait it out for the rest of the day. So it gets right before dark, and uh, I hear a buck across the slough where I, where I have my P-Row, you know, parked initially. I hear him raking the tree, and I'm like, man. So I, I hit my grunt call a couple times. And I was pretty aggressive. This guy lets out a snort wheeze. And if you've ever been in the woods and hear a snort wheeze, like it'll give you goosebumps. It's pretty, it's pretty hmm. cool. Oh yeah. So when he did that, man, I lit, I lit him one right back and he just kept raking this tree and it's right at dark. I can't see over my shoulder, see where he's at. So I get down, get in my P-Row as dark comes and I paddle back down to where I, you know, I get across and he is standing there on the edge of the slough. He's actually the buck that I shot. He's standing there staring at me right over a scrape. He done made a scrape and he's staring at me. I'm shining my light in his face. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get you tomorrow evening. So the next, the uh, I couldn't get back over there. I went back to the private that next morning. Well, the next evening I come back and I actually stayed on that side of slough, did not cross. And I sat on a log and I was like, all right. 
he's got to be coming down this ridge because it's flooded now. And uh, you'd have slew a ridge, a slew a ridge. And so I said, I'm going to sit here till dark and see if he walks back down this slough. I mean, back down this ridge to check, you know, it's because it's a bunch of big acorn trees on this slough. And sure enough, he did that. He come down that slough, I mean, down that ridge. And I shot him at about 100 yards. So it's just like, you know, these these bigger bucks will, you know, you can kind of you can kind of pattern them in there. You know, they're you know going to do the exact same thing they did the day before most of the time like he's got his little pattern he comes down that down that ridge and he checks the scrapes along the slough so uh if you can kind of figure out you know their little patterns that they do like that you, you know you can take some of these bigger bucks out of there so i mean are these ones that i've shot massive horns no but they're mature bucks and and that's what you know that's what i go after if i can kill a four and a half year old buck or or older on public land and yet that's an accomplishment. I don't care if he's 140 inches, 100 or 110 inches. You know. No, dude, I could I could not agree with you more on it's, that. Just the age, because look, this, this guy's like he has been through Harvard as a deer. If he is a buck at four and a half years old on public land, he is well educated. Trust me. Oh so. yeah, that's like the doe. I, I shot a doe last year that I sent the jawbone to a biologist. Told me she was six and a half. And wow. I was like, I was like, dang, I'm going to keep that jawbone. Yeah. I mean, I mean, man, we got some doe killers around here. Yeah. This ain't no, like, like big buck place where everyone's holding out. I was pretty impressed with that. Think of the hunts she has ruined in her time. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking, uh, man. I was like, man, she's probably oh, man. blown at so many people. She probably got a broad head stuck up in her somewhere. Oh, <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, that was a cool little story that, you know, how I was able to, you know, read how, how he acted the day before, you know, and kind of figure out, you know, which I did take a gamble. Is he going to do the same thing the next day? No, but I mean, you don't know that, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's it's, a hard it's a thing to predict. It, it, yeah. It's, it's like, I, I've had this, ha I had this happen to me last year specifically where you see it, some bucks doing something and you see him doing it and you're like, man, I wonder if they're going to do it again. And then they do it again and you're like, <laughs> Man, if they do it one more time, I'm going to go in there and hunt them. And then they do it again. Yeah. And then they never do it yeah. again after that. Yeah. <laughs> you just ruined your off. I do that all the yeah. time, man. I'm terrible about that. Oh, yeah. Just as soon as you think you figure it out. But, uh, I mean, you, you, it, it is a gamble. But uh, you, you got to take what you learn and stack it away. And I even I even had a, you know, my little, what do they call the little, the little books where you, with the, that we had in school, I can't remember. I can't think of the name of them. The like, little black, little black and white books. Oh, composition notebook. Yeah, composition books. My goodness, but yeah, <laughs> I even have one of those, and I write little notes, man, uh, about you know what happened that day, where where they came from, what was going on, how many deer I seen. But that's what's cool about that mapping system I use now at Hunt Stand. Uh, you can, you can, it has a little calendar, and I can just keep track. You know, I can actually. Uh, you know, mark where I killed the deer, and then you can log it in, log it all in. What time? What was the, you know, the moon phase? All that is pretty cool little deal. So yeah, that's sweet. That's something that I'm I'm really trying to do a better job at this year. Is just mapping out everything I do. Where in, in fact, yesterday I actually did this. Where I, I've sat so far six times in Georgia, and everywhere that I've sat, I put like a tree stand icon, and yeah. I, I put like a different color 
depending on if I saw a deer in legal shooting hours or if I did not. And so I've seen deer four of those six sits. And so as yep. I'm like hunt through the season and I do this, I'm hoping to find some kind of pattern of right. where, where I am seeing them. And, and of course I'm putting in like, like data as far as like weather and everything goes yeah. and maybe I'll be able to draw some kind of pattern. It's just, it takes a lot like doing your due diligence with that, I think would be a really yeah. powerful thing at the end of the season. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I kind of, um, I kind of go over what, you know, how my opening weekend is going to go and you know, how I've, you know, through scouting these different public lands, what, what I'm going to actually do. Oh yeah. That'd be I'll awesome. Kind of just give you a little rundown and you know, this is the way, you know, I perceive I should go and stuff like that. Is, is it the way everybody would do it? Probably not. But, uh, so, you know, I'm going to take a half a day. It takes me about, it, on one of the public lands that I hunt that's a little bit further south in the Delta, it takes me roughly three hours to get to it, three, maybe three hours and 15 minutes. Now, the you know, further north is probably a little over four hours. So, this one, uh, not to tell too, too much about the place, but there's a, you know, there's a, a levee system in it like a bunch of the other ones. But, uh. You know, a lot of people hunt the, the one side of this levee, but if you really study your maps, you'll find that there's just, there'll be small little parcels of public land that may be away from the big chunks where everybody goes. Well, you know, there's a big slough that I have to cross, and I, so I'll bring my kayak. So, you know, I'll take a half a day off of work on a Thursday. On my way up there, I'll stop at this one, you know, and I found some, uh, two big huge white oaks on the other side of this slough and man when i tell you it's the nastiest slough it's got cattails it's got all kind of stuff in it and um uh, i actually you know went over there and you know did some scouting in february you know because you can still see a lot of sign in february um from the year before you know for it you know actually might even find some fresh grapes but uh so i found them i'm gonna stop at that one on my way up and i'm gonna make a, a evening hunt probably get there around two Cross the slough, hunt those white oaks right there. There were some wild muscadine in there. Um, I tried to find some information to see if those will still be there, um, if they'll still be dropping because they were dropping. Some of them were green. I don't know if, if y'all have wild muscadines over there. Yeah, we Alabama. do. Yeah, and they'll they'll turn purple, and you know that's when they're ripe. But some green ones with the wind that fall down. But if by some chance there's still some there. That's where I'm, you know, be hunting in that area. So hopefully, you know, maybe I'll, that my goal right there is to pop a doe, you know, first, first evening, it's a, uh, I'm all, I'll be headed up to where I'm going to be camping. It'd be nice to pop a doe. I'm actually, man, I, I'm right across the levee. I'm, I'll be 300 yards from the truck, if that. And for me, that's not very far. But then once I leave there, I'll go up to where I'll be hunting for the next two or three days. But, and what's cool about, picking different public lands you know if one's not hot go to the next one you know it's, mm -hmm. pretty, it's pretty cool but um so once i get to the other one i have about four or five different locations where i can climb you know uh, so i kind of know where i'm gonna be i'll just judge the wind the next morning on my on my way up over there from the hotel whatever i'll just kind of like start checking my wind directions on each one you know, and most of them are on either a ditch, a slough, or right on some kind of transition area mm. uh, is, is what I'm going to be hunting. But, uh, you know, my goal once I get there 
because you know I'm on, I'm gonna hunt bucks for the for the most part if I you know it's getting toward the last day and I haven't you know got a buck in distance I'll start because those are pretty you know pretty plentiful out there so yeah but that's that's it I, I like having different areas you know different different public lands. so there's actually three on this long long highway that I can stop at at any time I can I can hit one next day I can hit the other one and so on and so forth till I get all the way up north <laughs> well what are your thoughts on hunting a spot like often like are you trying to avoid hunting a spot more than like two times are you trying to to hunt a new spot every single sit what what are your thoughts on that um, a lot of times i'll do if my wind's right morning and evening and uh if i you know if i haven't seen much moving you know i might i might move a little a little different but but like this one public land that has a ton of crop fields around it you know morning i'm not going to hunt the crop fields i'm going to hunt you know off in the timber and I found this ditch, and uh, there's a lot of grass beds along this ditch where they bed up. So uh, I'm going to try to slip down for the morning hunt. I'm going to try to slip down in there and just try to catch them coming back from the crop fields or coming out of that swamp and coming to lay in those those beds. And uh, that's how I'm going to hunt the mornings. But the evenings, I have to get you know up towards these crop fields and uh, hunt one of these ditches or... I guess you could call them creeks. They're almost like, like they're almost like these just big steep ditches. They're only like eight foot wide, but they're about eight foot deep. They're like these little, you know, they'll they'll get a rolling river through them if you get some rain. But uh, mm -hmm. the deer love to travel them, man. They love yeah. to travel them. They jump right across them. So, so speaking of that, like pushing into areas like that, um, when you're walking into an area like what you're talking about, uh what kind of deer sign makes you want to stop and set up? Um, man, early season. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not so much looking for rubs, you know, to me, uh, you know, bug, you know, yeah, he's rubbing his velvet off, but I just, I've noticed in these Delta in the Delta and stuff like this, they really don't start, you know, making rub lines like serious rub lines till, maybe like the week before thanksgiving mm -hmm. so i really don't kind of hunt that um man i just like i said i like to hunt these little little ditches uh and some of this uh public land that's you know it's owned by the government they've they've done these little projects where i guess i don't know how many years ago they just made these ditch things that go all through here i mean through these big thickets and uh and deer love to travel it for some reason. I, I guess maybe they have these little pockets of water and they're in between uh, big thickets. You know, they don't have to actually go to the, the creeks or the little rivers that are around it. So they'll just come get a drink on these little pockets. And uh, so that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm looking for in, in early bow season, just checking these ditches out. But, you know, if I hunt it one morning and it's not happening, then, you know, I'm going to move off to these uh, – to the bigger creek beds where all the oaks are so yeah do you see one species of oak preferred over another one well yeah your your white oaks but they have these uh pin oaks up here um that you you can almost confuse them with a white oak mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah they they like those overcup 
acorns they they like those but i mean if you can find a white oak but man it's almost it's crazy you know of course i've heard a lot of people say that you know white oaks drop every other year um but of course if you can find one that's loaded and it's and it's dropping man that's that's the key but uh if you're lucky enough to find wild persimmons but uh i haven't found much of those out there um trying to think of i just, I just drew another blank um they have a tree with these long leaves that look like beans. Um, oh, um, locust? Yeah, honey locust. Mm -hmm. They have a ton of those out there. If you can find those that have dropped, man, they'll come and, <laughs> they'll come and devour those. Yeah, I had no uh, idea about those, which I'm a little bit ashamed to admit because I'm such like a tree nerd. Uh, and I, I saw them on the hunting public on one of their videos. I was yeah. like, huh. That's interesting. I think I've seen that before. And then I went to a WMA that I hunt usually once a year, and I went out there and I found one that was just, I mean, demolished. The deer were under that thing so heavy. I was like, well, I'll be danged. We got them here. I'm going to have to start keying in on this. <laughs> hey, if you watch the Primos guys, man, they uh, wish they have the best land and this side of heaven. <laughs> but uh, it's just absolute. I picked with my wife and said, man, right before i go to heaven if the lord just let me stop in and uh the primos guys they <laughs> they own the uh they own the north like the the corner of louisiana mississippi and arkansas yeah. they own a big part of that so, man if i could just stop in there and make a couple hunts <laughs> yeah i'll be good to go but yeah, uh, they have an amazing property up there yeah man it, it's gonna be a learning curve this year because like i said um and it, this is no cockiness at all but i i'm pretty sure if i go during the rut at that one i've had success with i could probably go kill another buck right there in that area because it's just for two years it's i've been able to figure it out really quick now these other ones it, it may take me a, a year or two to kind of figure them out but uh you know judging by you know my success at the other ones and and how i hunted those i, I should be good with these but uh it's just you know, I, I bring a uh, I bring a climbing stand, and I bring a lock on with um I have a lone wolf lock on with you know separate ladder sticks because uh you know different areas I'm gonna have to hunt different ways um I actually do have a ghillie suit. Oh, uh, there you go. It, it's it's tough, man. It's tough, but you know some of these spots are just so thick. And what's crazy is when I went in February to scout these places. I was able to walk down this ditch and like, I was like, man, I could get off a, like an 80 yard shot in here. I could just put, tuck me a little, uh, a little lawn chair up in this grass and I could see down this ditch. I went back in August, man, you could not see five feet in front of you. Like it was so thick. So I'm like, well, this is going to be a late season spot right here. I'm just, you know, mm -hmm. I come here. You know, late season, but well, the thing is, by the time late season gets there and all that grass has died down, you know, gun uh, that 14 days of muzzleloader is more than likely going to be over. So now I will be sitting on the ground with a bow. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tricky, but I'm telling you, man, if if you, you put in some work in this Delta and don't be scared to talk to locals, you know, some people are like, oh, don't talk, don't talk to a local. You're out of state or man, they're they not. Yeah, well, if you come with them, if you come to them with a good attitude and show them you're not riffraff and you you know you're going to be respectful and they're not going to mind, man. 
and uh yeah. but you'll find some information you dig a little bit you know and i you know i asked one farmer i was like man you, you hunt here and he said yeah i have a box down on the edge of this public land and i said well what kind of books y'all kill out of here he's like well he said what's a big buck to you i said well where i'm from 120 is deer is nice you know mm-hmm. down southeast louisiana he said well man honestly if you can hunt and you know you're any bit of a hunter and you put in some time you'll kill a 140 out of but you know you can kill some 140s he said and if you really hunt and you got a little luck on your side he said you'll drag a 150 out of here here and there and i was like hey that that's that's beautiful to me that ain't bad Jacob, you've been awful quiet over there. You got anything to add to that? I mean, kind of. I'll say I love landowners that aren't deer hunters that are big small game hunters. Uh, When we were in Tennessee, we actually met a farmer that lived right across the street from where we uh, had shot both of our bucks. And uh, he was talking, he was giving us all kind of pointers about where he sees the deer. And he pretty much, I need to call him, but he pretty much gave us permission to hunt his property. He's like, like, my wife won't be a big fan of it, but he's like, I I won't mind it. yeah <laughs> but uh but he was a big he was a big rabbit hunter and he ran dogs out there and i mean he knew every every little thicket and everything we kind of were uh-huh. talking about so he'd be a good guy to pick pick brains with but uh yeah. but that's awesome i mean i think that's always a good thing especially when you're hunting out of state or hunting a region of the state you're not familiar with is you know talk to some locals try to see if you can you know in, in, get introduced to them right. uh see if you have anybody that can introduce you and just kind of work on that connection because to me, the more people you know, especially if you're doing an out-of-state hunt, or really the more knowledge you can pick up from other people in the area, the better off you're going to be. Right. So, well, see, this is um, you know, using the Hunt Stand app that that I use, and um, you know, being hooked up with those guys, you know, I get free parcel information. So I was able to look up, you know, some of these local farmers, and you know, driving around, I kind of just drive all the little dirt roads and just kind of look at the terrain, look. I, I try to see what fields, you know, I'll scan the fields with my binoculars, see what fields have uh, box stands in them or if they have ladder stands on the edge of them. And if they don't, then I'm like, all right, I got to find access to this back corner. Like, I'm going to get back here because it does not look like it's, you know, getting hunt. Oh, of course, you know, you know, during gun season, somebody could come set a lawn chair on the side of it. But if I don't see a box stand, that's what I was telling my buddy, like, he's not as aggressive as i am but i'm like i'm getting to that back corner we looked at it on the map and man it was like 1300 yards my buddy's like you're nuts i said dude there's nobody back i said we scanned it there's no box stands back there so we walked it come to find out there's a box stand tucked away in the woods where we couldn't see it but from the other dirt road it's only like 400 yards but uh but it's all public land behind it so I still may hunt it in both season, but uh, I'm not sure. But I'm gonna have to walk 1,300 yards. <laughs> it's gonna be that's a hike. That's that, a hike through the woods. That but, is uh, a dang walk. Yeah, but I mean, to me, man, if I pull a 140 out of there and I have to drag this thing with a cart 1,300 yards, I'm, I'm I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> so i have to, if i had now if i'm going to hunt scrub bucks but when you go to the delta you're killing you know 200 plus pound deer and you know your typical three-year-olds are probably going to be you know 120 plus on your three-year-olds so to me that's that's pretty good deer for public land 
Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Now, well, I'll tell you another thing um, that you kind of touched on that I'd like to kind of dive into is when you're talking about, like, accessing these places and, you know, you have people hunting, you know, you're looking at, like, what's on the other side of the public. You're, you're not looking at what what can I hunt on public, but what's on the other side, what's on the private land that is either attracting the deer or also could maybe, you know, these deer on the public land side, talking about hunters and everything else. And that's something right. I always try to get when I look at a new property. I'm glad you do that. And it's kind of cool to kind of see your own perspective down there. Of, you know, where do you think hunting pressure is going to be? And also, in, is there any crop fields or anything like that on the private land side that's going to attract these deer uh, throughout the season? So that that's pretty slick. And I think anybody out there, whether you're hunting, you know, Appalachian Mountains, whether you're hunting Midwest, you know, Central, you know, Central uh, Deep South or whatever, you know, if you look at what's on the private land side, and what can yep. be attracting those deer on that side or pushing the deer off onto the public, that's something to always take a look at and look at that and see how those deer are working those areas. So that's pretty slick how you do that. Absolutely. Uh, there's there's one spot. It's going to be – it's kind of like my land, yeah, uh, public land. I went in there one time. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of tough because you have to you have to take a long four-wheeler ride to get back to the back where, I, where I'm wanting to hunt. And then once I park my four-wheeler, I actually have to probably going to walk about probably 1,500 yards back there. It's, you know, I hit this kind of like, it's an open swamp, but I wanted to see what it looked like on the edge of public, on private. Because on a map, I was like, man, there's a huge food plot probably 400 yards from the uh, public land. And the public land was all swamp. But on from the edge of the public to that food plot was it just looked like a big a old clear cut. So when I hit foot on ground and I got back there, man, that thicket was just nasty. The one on the edge of the public going to the private to that big food plot. I mean, it's just nasty. Like you're not even walking through it. Now if I do decide to hunt off of that, you have most of the time you have to be like a hundred, I think a hundred yards off or maybe a hundred feet off of, I think it may be a hundred feet off of the um, private land. Now I do run risk of the deer running into that thicket if I shoot it, but that's where my mapping system is going to come in. I'll have to find access to the landowner and uh, get them on the phone and ask if I can go retrieve the deer, but that's going to be, I mean, that's jam up uh, spot. I've seen so much sign over in that swamp. But it's like, you know, they will go hit that food plot. But, man, they like to just roam around through that swamp, and then they go lay up in the thicket. So, uh, you know, it's like they almost, I don't know, they, I don't know, I guess they're like us, and they like different food sources. They're just not all about, you know, corn and a food plot. They like to eat whatever else is in that swamp, little acorns and stuff. So, uh I do look at that, but that's what's key about having a map system is finding, you know, you know, access to different spots because I I really don't want to go on uh, private land without permission, you know. Yeah. You will get get your button uh, to crack. (laughs) Yeah. No. Hey, listen. One thing I want to share with everybody on here that's listening to the podcast, which goes hand in hand with what you're talking about, like using, you know, using hunt stand. Uh, for property, uh, you know, private public land uh, property boundaries and, and information, you know, we're using Onyx and everything else. But the thing is, it doesn't ever give you, it does not ever give you a phone number 
with that. It gives you like some tax records. You got to go search it. Well, there's a website I found through my work that is extremely effective for finding these people's like contact information, like all kinds of stuff, like especially phone numbers. And it's great yeah. because you can get in contact very quickly. And it's called Fast. Hold on, let me look at it. I just, I just had it pulled up. It's called uh, fastpeoplesearch.com. And you can run it off your phone very easily. And all you have to do is just know a general area of where someone lives, like, you know, the closest uh-huh. town or whatever. And then just their full name. And then you can find their uh, phone number on that. So you can touch base with them through that very easily. And uh, that's something I'm going to start using more so out of state to be able to get permission. Yeah. Or if I have issues on public and deer runs on a private, I can find that person's contact info very, very quickly. So yeah. just there's a heads up for everybody. Fastpeoplesearch.com. Oh, fastpeoplesearch.com. That's pretty slick. Yeah. Well, see, in another little you know, short story, I got stories out. <laughs> like crazy but uh you know this this summer i you know going through this public land i was like all right where am i gonna stay i'm 12 miles from a gas station and i am another probably 10 12 miles to a hotel and i'm like man i really don't want to you know if i go up there for two nights three days i really don't want to be dropping you know a ton of money on hotel stay so i'm like man i wonder if i could find a little piece of property around here to stay on so I found one little half acre block. It had like two trees on it, an old house pad and like this little shed. And I'm like, man, that'd be cool. I could pop a tent up like right there under those trees or something. Like I maybe, you know, it was kind of grown up with grass. I'm like, man, let me find this uh, farmer's info. So I found his info and um, I, I went on Google. I can't remember the website that I found his, uh, his number, but I called him up. And so I introduced myself and, you know, I, you know, it sounded very professional. I try to keep myself professional. I try not to sound like a redneck when I talk to people. So, you know, I talked to him. I was kind, respectful. And I said, look, man, uh, I'd like to offer you some money. I'm like, I, you know, let me stay there. I, whatever your, your price is, at, at whatever weekend I come up there, I'll give you so much money. What You name it. And he's like, oh, man. He said, I'll tell you what, I'd like to meet you. He said, so just come up here one weekend and uh, we'll go grab breakfast or lunch or whatever. And, uh. I just want to meet you face to face. And then, you know, it sounds like you're a nice guy and we could work something out. So, man, go up there, have breakfast with the guy, talk with him. You know, he tells me about the, you know, the public land a little bit and about the deer he's taking off of it. And he's like, man, just pitch your tent, do whatever you want to do. He said, look, if you want to stay in that shed, there's nothing in there. You just kind of clean it out. You can stay in the shed. So just by, you know, talking with people and you know being courteous and respectful man it, it, it'll get you a long way so now i have a nice little place to stay i might have to rough it a little bit you know but hey it's a place to park get off the road you know especially if it's raining and stuff like that so and it's cool what's cool is it actually has um running water and electricity <laughs> nice so, yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool so thank god i, I got hooked up with that you know so all courtesy of using my map system, finding the parcel information and researching. So it's a lot of homework if you want to you want to be successful. Because look, I am not that guy that can walk right into a piece of public land and go kill a one sixty my first hunt. I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have that luck. So I have to do homework and I gotta I gotta put in the work. So yeah, absolutely, man. Well. Cody, we've probably taken about enough of your time here, but uh, I, I want to thank you for, first of all, coming on. This has been a 
pretty good episode, man. I've actually really enjoyed this, especially since I know for a fact I'm going to be hunting some swamp, you know, river bottom type areas in the very yeah. near future. So, uh, where can people find some of your stuff, man, if they want to kind of follow along with your story? Yeah, man. Look, um, I started a, a little side business. You know, I, I wanted to represent myself and my buddies and, and represent the, the blue collar guy that works his 40 hours a week and, you know, tries to go hunt. And uh, so I started my own brand about two and a half years ago called Southern Stalkers. And uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and I actually have a YouTube channel where I've, I've captivated a couple hunts, uh, have a couple does on film. I actually have one public land buck on there. It's a little dark. The footage uh, at, at night, uh, it's right at, at dark. And uh, my camera light was a little running out. But uh, you can check me out there. And uh, I actually have a website at southernstalkers.com. And, you know, I just sell hats, shirts, decals. And I have a lot of, lot of cool merchandise that I uh, that I've uh, made up and most of my stuff is all my logos. I build them myself, uh, except for some of my patch hats. I have a lady that uh, makes those, but man, all of it's kind of support, you know, me and my buddies going out and, you know, chasing our dreams in the, in the woods, man. So I hear you, man. Go check them out, folks. All right, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode as much as we did. Uh, If you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to do something here. Uh, either leave us a review, that would be amazing, or when you look at these episodes in in your little player, whichever app you listen on, there'll be like a little icon somewhere that you can click on, and it'll tell you to copy that link. And if you could copy that link and text it to a buddy or post it on social media or something, that would be incredible. We would greatly, 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 greatly appreciate that so much. It's not even funny. So if you could do that, that'd be pretty sweet anyways this is the outro we've been getting so much good feedback on the outro that we really appreciate it so we're going to stick with it from here on out uh jacob what do you think about that episode it was pretty freaking cool and fascinating to hear a guy that's hunting super south mississippi i mean he hunts all over the state of mississippi on public land but really it's focused a lot of his time in southern mississippi in the delta uh coming over from louisiana and, you know, has had quite a bit of success doing it. And he's only been doing it for a few years now, but he's really enjoying it. And it's really got me kind of excited. And also, because, I, I mean, I talked to him beforehand, and I've seen some of the deer he's killed and also seen some of the deer he's been chasing. You know, there are some big freaking deer down in South Mississippi that a lot of people I don't think realize. I mean, I really, I clearly did not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a freaking cool opportunity. It's cool to finally get somebody on from that region of the country Oh, yeah, definitely. Sorry to Mississippi. We've been neglecting you hardcore over the last few months. We haven't had anybody on from Mississippi since turkey season. So, sorry about that. But, I, I yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Cody's a real modest dude. He's got some really nice bucks on the wall. Um, but did anything in that episode, like, jump out to you, Jacob, on, on stuff that he talked about? The one thing that kind of jumped out to me was how he's using – or how he goes about when he's, you know, finding a place to go to, mm-hmm. how he's used uh, antler restrictions and stuff like that as something that he really keys in on. And I've heard other guys talk about that as well, but having him kind of go over that and that's really what he's looking for and kind of going in and, and having some success doing that was pretty interesting. Um, which now, you know, in the state of Alabama, a lot of our management areas have put antler restrictions on, uh, at least the ones I've hunted. 
and I, I definitely see a huge difference in the deer quality once they have done that. And after he was talking about some of the restrictions they have on the places that he hunts, I'm like, man, that's going to be a freaking cool opportunity. But also how he uses water access. You know, he's talking about using a kayak a lot, using his P-Row, uh, which it doesn't get to me. It doesn't get much more Cajun than using a P-Row. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> but, kind of thinking uh, that, the same awesome. thing. Yeah, that was awesome. So, um, but anyways, dude, I, I really enjoyed it. And just kind of his whole perspective on, again, how similar all the guys that we've had on that's been having success on public land all do very similar things no matter where in the country they're hunting, okay? Yep. It's all based around secure, thick cover that the deer are using time and time again, day in, day out, and that's where these guys are having success. And I mean, that's exactly what he talked about today. Yeah. So let's take that and apply it to some just regular Joe Blow dude who's kind of decent at hunting, a.k.a. me, um, over this last week in Georgia. So I haven't talked to you any at, pretty much at all about what's been going on in Georgia because it's been crazy over the last week. I've had a lot of stuff going on that kept me from hunting, and so every time I got a free moment, I was on my way to Georgia and I was hunting. So it's been kind of crazy. But uh, me and Michael Pike from The Unrested, uh, he stayed with me actually from like Tuesday to Saturday. Uh, and he hunted every every morning and every evening, except one morning and he slept in. Um, so we had like a week of experience, excuse me, we had a week of experience <clears throat> on this place. And I want to run some of this stuff by you, and I want to get your outside opinion on kind of some of the stuff that we were seeing. Make sense? Okay. All right. Um, I'm trying to remember how it started. I can't really... Can't really remember oh, that. Wow. <laughs> it's it's all a blur, man. Um, that, that, that's an Auburn Auburn education for you, right there. Hi, that's right, War Dang Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, oh, okay, I remember. I remember what what I did now. So I went down by the river because it's hot, and so uh, Michael had seen some deer down by the river on like the first or second day he was hunting. So I went down there near where me and you have talked about a lot, Jacob. And in the dark, I found some some like good heavy feed sign. I was up against the river. There's some like good bedding right up against the river where it's nice and cool. So I knew deer were going to be down in there. So I, I'm walking down this ditch, and I'm I'm in this ditch, and I find the just like tilled up ground, like where these deer had just been hammering these oaks that were dropping. So I'm I start shimmying up a tree, and I'm like on my second step. Or no, I'm putting my second step on the tree and a deer walks by me in the dark and I don't know what it was. And then I sit there and I hunt it and don't see anything in daylight. Um, and then Michael sees a deer. So uh, he saw a little buck later in the day. It wasn't legal. Uh, Michael's all over the dang spikes. Uh, fast forward a little bit. I can't hunt. Michael's still hunting. And he hunts up against a basically like the top of a ridge. You know, it's your typical cutover. Uh, maybe 10-year-old pines are pretty open underneath. They're not like that thick cutover look to them anymore. They're, it's like kind of established planted pines that are too small to even saddle hunt in. Uh, so he hunts up against that on uh, where the hardwoods run up the ridge a little bit from the creek. This is very close to where you sat, Jacob. Uh, yeah, and, no shock, man. Yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. He had a little buck, again, a little buck come by him. It was actually a legal buck. Um, but he went ahead and passed it because he was a four four points on one side and a spike on the other, so he passed it. 
Uh, then he had a doe come by that winded him and everything. So he saw a couple deer there. Then we started hunting like where you know, you know, Jacob, the big destination food source on the place, big food plot, um, which, you know, deer were hammering. So we're like, okay, we just got to hunt this thing. So we both hunt it. Michael hunts a spot I hunted last year, which is basically uh, a little thicket right next to the field that the deer are, they're not necessarily bedding it. Some of them bed in it, but most of them just use it as like a staging area. So Michael hunts right there, very close to where I missed a buck last year. I go to the other side of the field and hunt where me and you, Jacob, first went into the woods in that corner. Well, hold a second. What was the wind? Uh, east, like east-southeast. Okay, okay. So perfect for me. It was pretty risky for Michael. Um, but anyways, you remember we popped into the woods right there on the, on the corner of the field, and there's privet right there. So the, for everyone listening – the, you drop off this this field, and there's like a little valley right there. It's not very big at all, and it's kind of open, but mm-hmm. in the kind of the, the head of that draw, there's a bunch of privet. Well, there's a doe, or I say a doe. It could have been a buck. I don't, I don't know. I never saw it. But I got to the edge of the field, and it stood up out of that privet and ran off blowing. So I was like, great, awesome. So then I just dropped down in there, uh, find like where they're, a good spot where they're crossing the creek, got good fresh sign on it. So I set up on that. Michael sets up where he set up. He ended up seeing like a bunch of spikes. He saw like five or six spikes or something like that. Uh, and I had a rack buck, a legal rack buck. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, or I think he was legal. Rack buck come right underneath me, like at dark. Um, he was, I heard him come down out of those pines and he came down and basically was walking straight towards me and it was so dark I couldn't see him that well so I was trying to look through the binos to get a look at him and I could see a rack I couldn't see much about it though he's got to have four points on one side or a 15 inch spread to be legal so I'm like really looking at this thing he gets on like a dark patch of leaves I can't really tell he jumps across the creek and gets like 10 yards underneath me 10 to 15 yards I mean just right there and, uh, yeah, I just couldn't ever really figure out if he was legal. And up until the point that he finally walked off, I was still looking through the binos trying to tell. But it was too dark to shoot, and he moved off. Never saw him again. So, uh, I mean, that that's mostly kind of the rundown on, on what's been going on over the last two days. Do you, do you have anything you want to poke or prod about? No, that's cool that you were able to get into that spot because I was very eager uh, have somebody sit there and figure out what it's like. Um, so, dude, that, that's pretty slick. I wonder if you could hunt that in a morning and get in super early, but come in from like the main road and walk that drainage down. So, you like, you don't actually have to walk to that designated food source and and slip into that same spot, dude, and hunt it. You know, on like the morning after like a cold front pushes through and see what that looks like. Hey, um, that's that's an idea. <laughs> Because I love that area, man, and it's kind of, as you know, it's kind of interesting how that deer came out as lazy did, which I mean, wouldn't necessarily surprise me. But uh, also oh, yeah. surprised he, me you didn't. He rubbed a tree right in front of me too. That was pretty cool, dude. How's that footage? Oh, what footage? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Jacob, man. Jacob took my <laughs> fluid head. So I had no means of film. I literally couldn't film, even if I wanted to. Like I couldn't film at all. 
So, yeah, none of this on my end is documented. Thankfully, Michael filmed a whole bunch of stuff, so you can go to his channel to see his side of it. It's unrested on YouTube. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, he came out super late. Even if I had my camera, dude, he, he was so late that there's absolutely no way. I, I could have probably turned on, like, the infrared thing on the camera, and that probably would have picked him up because he was so close. Now, I kind of wish I could have done that now. But, um... Uh, the the next day that we hunted after that, uh, I kind of was wanting to move away from the field because, one, the like that bucket came out so late. I was just like, man, I can't. I literally just cannot push any farther like up into this bedding. Like it's just it's literally too thick for me to hunt, and I don't know where they're bedded. I just don't think it'd be the best idea to try and do that. So I uh, instead went down to another part of the field when you go south of it there's some planted pines and these planted pines have been thinned and burned and everything and they're nice and thick i mean really just really lush green all kinds of stuff in there like super diverse uh just all kinds of underbrush under these pines and it's like maybe i don't know need a waist high in most parts and then when you get down in the bottom, it gets a little higher, and it gets above my head in some places. Uh, but it's not, like, super dense. You can move through it. And I get down in there, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of deer down in here. So I can see beds, I can see crap, I can see browse, all kinds of stuff. So I'm like, well, I need to get up out of this thick stuff and work the transition of it so I can be a little more quiet. So I'm walking down this transition, and there's hardwoods on my left, pines on my right. And there's a big oak tree, a huge old oak tree that is that died and fell over right on that transition. And as I'm walking, it was one of those days where you just can't be quiet no matter what you do. Like, it's just dry and quiet out there, so everything is crunchy. You can't do anything about the noise you're making. So when I'm doing that, I'll just walk along and yelp like a turkey. Like, just real soft yelps, no, like, nothing crazy, just acting like a turkey, you know, because a turkey is bipedal, so... Maybe the deer are kind of used to that cadence of walking. So I'm walking and walking, you know, throwing out a few yelps here and there. And I get right up on this dang log and I'm like 10 yards from it. And I I had just yelped like three times and I step and I broke a stick under my foot. And these two does stand up on the other side of that log, like 10 yards from me. And just like half walk, half run, like 15 yards and just stand there. And I'm standing here with a bow in my hand and everything, and I'm trying to get an arrow out. And one of the does walks into the pines, and the other one just stands there. And I sit there and watch this thing for like 10 minutes, and then finally she just starts eating. So I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So she starts eating, and she's just like milling around eating acorns right there. And I almost was able to kill her, but there was just too much stuff in the way. I mean, she was like 30 or in. I mean, she was very close to me. So... She turns around and eventually feeds up into the pines, and I think that I heard him bed down. I gave him like 25 or 30 minutes. Like, I thought I was never going to get set up. And when I thought they had bedded down, I swung around to the other side of the log they were bedded on, and sure enough, there's just beds all over the place right there. Uh, and there's some oaks right there that are dropping, and it's pretty obvious that these does are just laying up up under these oak trees that are dropping and probably just gorging themselves on acorns. They got great escape cover right there it's like a very secure spot for him so i just shimmied up a tree right there in that spot um one because it was super late in the day and i didn't really have time to push further in but two i mean it just seemed like a good spot uh i didn't see anything though michael ended up going to 
a kind of a similar spot. Um, again, it was pines up on a ridge. It was older planted pines, not like mature or anything, but they were old enough to where you could probably get a saddle in some of them. I'm talking maybe, oh, four inches in diameter, something like that, four to six inches in diameter. And these does came feeding down like along the transition between the pines and the hardwoods. It's like a big point of a ridge. And these things wrapped around the edge eating white oak acorns and he nailed a doe right at 15 yards. Um, Ended up hitting her high shoulder um, and kind of forward is a one long hit. And we trailed her pretty late into the night. Just could not find her. Very, very, very little blood. Lost the track and uh, Michael actually called a tracking dog. Went back in the next morning and found her. Uh, where we had lost blood, she actually had taken a hard left and ran straight up and over the ridge and died bedded on the transition on the other side of the ridge. Well, that was awesome. Was he able to recover that meat? Yeah, yeah, he was. Okay, cool. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too hot out there. I mean, it was like like 60s at night, something like. It was actually very similar to con, uh, conditions to when you shot that little doe last year. Ah, got you. Old pocket deer, man. Oh, old pocket deer. <laughs> yeah, so this yeah. is the this is my dilemma with with this area is that man, what are you doing? Dude, nothing. <laughs> so this is my dilemma with this area <clears throat> is that the bucks here we that we were seeing before the season have like all but disappeared. Like we can't find them. And we were talking to the biologist about it and he said the same thing. He was like, Yeah, there's a there's a lot of guys come in here in the rut on the gun hunts and they'll they'll kill some really big deer, but it's like you know we don't know where they're at in the, in the early season like they just disappear they go into a hole somewhere, and so that's kind of what I'm dealing with too man I I don't know where these bucks went, so I'm trying to narrow down the area that I think that they're that they have ended up in like the whatever thick cover, and after talking to Glenn and Jeff and Richard and. Cody and Tyler and all these other guys, I think that my strategy is going to be go in to some of those planted pines that we were just talking about where it's nice and thick, it's got good cover, it's got good browse in there, and find where those planted pines funnel out into like some area with hardwoods that have oaks because they're hammering oaks right now, and maybe try and hunt that transition or hunt like a terrain funnel inside of those pines or something like that. Or maybe try and find an oak inside of those pines somewhere and see if I can't sneak into that. Um, I really don't know, dude, but I'm throwing another sit at it Tuesday and and we'll see what happens. But what do you think about that? Well, I mean, the hardest thing is going to be trying to get in a spot where these deer feel comfortable early season. Because I've got a feeling there's a probably a ton of them because there's a lot of thick cover real close to those roads, like especially like the main road. And I could completely see deer, like a big deer, bedded close to that kind of stuff. And he's just like chilling. And there's so much browse in these areas in these pine thickets that I mean, he doesn't. They don't have to go far to go feed, even on oaks or anything else, and on acorns or whatever. There's so much green browse; it's not really an issue. So mm-hmm. I think at least. Be- on the deer early season right now which there's so much food out there is dude you're gonna have to get fine get so close on a bed and find a bed whether you're gonna run trail cameras or what or just find some fresh sign that's shown that there's a deer there's you know there's a buck in the area and just get super tight to him because i don't i can't imagine why deer is gonna have to move a whole bunch early season unless y'all just get hit with a drought or something 
and you know he's just had to cover some more distance for water because there was plenty of water there when I when I was there. There's food everywhere, and there's guys hunting. And I mean, those deer could be absolutely anywhere in any of that thick cover and not have to go terribly far. And it's not making them necessarily nocturnal. They're moving. They're just moving in probably, you know, like a like a two acre area, if that. If it's not even smaller, where they have food everywhere, especially in those pines. And, you know, if they get war close bodied, it's going to be a win-win for them. So it's going to make it tough, dude. I ain't going to lie for early season yeah. out there. Yeah. That's one thing me and Michael were talking about, um, <clears throat> which I'll, I'll be able to test this over the coming week and everything. But one thing just I'm, like, kind of curious about, especially now that we are kind of entering drought conditions throughout much of the southeast, uh, specifically where I'm at, Um I'm real interested to see how that plays into it because we have so much water in the southeast. Like pretty much everybody in our listening area has a lot of water around them. Pretty much over every ridge, you're going to have water. Um, so it's easy for us to take that for granted. Like, yeah, water's not a limiting factor. But uh, at least uh, something that I've noticed I do is that I never even think about water. So I'm like, well, maybe that's what I'm missing to an extent. Maybe it's one of the pieces of the puzzle is like, Maybe I need to locate a good bedding point or just a good bedding area in general. And then something that looks like it has great cover but also holds food. And maybe something where like a solid water source not only is nearby, but a solid water source that that deer could probably get to easily and safely, you know, and then return to his bed, have plenty of escape routes and everything. Rather than just some like kind of willy-nilly be like, oh, there's water over here. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, or find it where they're actually betting on the water. Yeah. Um, you know, where we were at, it would be, unless, they, unless they're just going to feed underneath and like bed up. Or, like, I don't see a buck doing this, but, you know, like some of those doe groups bedding under some of those oaks that are dropping right now in some of those thicker creek bottoms, I can see that. But when you have, like, the cutovers or any kind of, like, little pine ridge point that comes down to, close to that creek, you might find a bed, dude, or some or some serious buck beds in those areas where he's not terribly far from that water. He's got oaks right there dropping close by, but he can stay in that thick cover, eat green briar, and any kind of green browse that's just, you know, lush right now down there, and then slowly ease his way out in the evenings, you know, into these bottoms that have, I mean, more oaks than you know what to do with. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, when I was there, they were just now dropping. I'm sure by now, dude, you probably can slip and fall on them. Oh, they're um, raining in some areas right now. They're absolutely raining out of the trees. Yeah, so, you know, it just makes it tough. But if you can find I, – I feel like if you can find some pines that push down into one of those creek bottoms that's kind of secluded, that's thick as crap, but comes down to a bottom that's relatively thick as well but still has, you know, tons of green uh, browse but also has some oaks dropping, I think you could find some bucks in that area. Um but that's just going to be the biggest thing. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, if you can find something that's close to that water source, like one of those water sources that just makes for fantastic bedding, dude, I think you can find those bucks. But other than that, dude, I think they're just going to be in some of these pines that they have so much food inside these, you know, 10, 15, you know, especially like these 10-year-old pines, dude. They can walk around and feed all they want um, and then – slowly ease out whenever they want to whether it's going to be midday whether it's going to be you know six o'clock at night whether it's going to be nine o'clock at night it doesn't matter uh, you know they don't necessarily have to leave that because there's so much food inside of it um, and it, you can't really push it up in there dude just because of a couple of things you know dry conditions is going to be extremely loud even if it was raining it'd be tough getting in those areas um, 
and then also just the vegetation, dude. It's it's not gonna be easy trying to slip into one of those spots quietly, especially with a bow. Yeah, yeah, so. I, I agree with that. Yeah, so actually, I'll have to, I'm gonna drop you a pin when we get off here because I, I I want your thoughts on this. But the spot that I think I'm actually gonna hit up on Tuesday afternoon is pretty similar to what we've been just talking about. It's in those pines. It's got just awesome cover down there especially the lower you get down close to the creek the thicker the cover gets like i don't know why but it gets very very nice and thick it's actually where those two does that i jumped up walked into uh after they fed away from me so i mean it's mm-hmm. like it's head high dude. it's very very thick you can't see through it it's full of honeysuckle beautyberry just all kinds of stuff greenbrier blackberry tons of stuff in there that i do not want to walk through but the deer probably just love living in that bottom kind of funnels down uh to the hardwood bottom and right there on that transition i can see on the map like a bunch of big oak trees and i'm thinking that maybe getting up on that transition maybe being able to see into those pines a little bit might be the ticket uh i don't really know i'm probably gonna end up just throwing a sit at it and see seeing what happens but you're absolutely right about them not having to move far, man. I mean, it's uh, it is definitely difficult right now because there is a lot of food on the ground. There's a ton of oak trees dropping all throughout the property, so finding that one is going to come down to tying a bunch of stuff in together. Like rather than just an oak tree, find an oak tree close to good bedding or or whatever else. Uh, definitely going to be a challenge, but I'm hoping I can stick something by the end of the week get the monkey off my back yeah exactly well i mean i feel like for a doe right now i don't i can't imagine being you know super 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 impossible for you to do right now just because we already know areas where those does are feeding i mean you've already been seeing some deer it's just getting in there in a way that you're not blowing them out before you get set up yeah um yeah i that's that's just gonna be the biggest issue but I feel like if you can do that, you can be able, you know, put a couple of does down very easily. But it's like those bucks, you know, especially trying to kill a three and a half, four and a half old buck or older. They're, I just, dude, the way after seeing that property in person, it is fantastic deer habitat for herself. It is unreal. By the way, the biologist it said it's about forty deer per square mile. Which, how do, how would that compare to like where we're at? Where uh, we're at? Okay, so uh, you probably where you're at, you probably don't have twenty. Um, d- typically 20 deer per square mile is like good. It's like kind of the average. It's like good habitat, good deer numbers is about 20 deer per square mile. So this place has double that, which is pretty impressive, which is, I mean, that explains a lot why we see like piles of deer out there at a time. It's ridiculous, dude. Um, but yeah, where you're at right now probably doesn't quite have 20 if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. But Interesting. Yeah, it, I mean it's it's all it's really great. It's stellar deer habitat for sure. I've come to I've also come to the conclusion that especially this early time of year in a place like what I'm hunting is that I can't just like deer hunt. Uh, I think that I need to like if I want to kill a doe, I need to go to a doe spot, and if I want to kill a buck, I'm gonna have to go to a buck spot. You get what I'm saying? Um, I yeah. think it's gonna be. I think if I try to set up for both, nothing will happen. <laughs> So that's something to be mindful of. Yeah, for sure. Well, on, on another note, uh, I was able to get out and do some dove hunting yesterday after work and was able to kill my first banded dove. And I didn't lose my band like you, so I actually got called in. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that on the podcast. Yeah, I lost my band. It was pretty 
pretty upsetting, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah dude, you've been tearing ban- up the dubs. Yeah, you, yours is probably banded in Mexico, and mine was banded like four miles from where I shot it. So, <laughs> killing them at the source, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Biologists ain't getting but, no data. No, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Here you go. Call. I texted. Actually, check. Text the photo to the to the biologist. Like, yeah, man. They will kill one band. He's like, sweet. He's like, where was it? Where was the bandit at? I'm like, yes. He's like, I, he's like, that's what I, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I like, like last year we killed one out there that had a band on it, and the biologist was out there, and we checked it with him. He's like, actually, I think I banded this dove. <laughs> I was like, sorry, man. <laughs> it's like killing one of his pets, man. They didn't get to live very long. <laughs> yeah. Well, on a so before we wrap this up, this is gonna be a longer episode. Um, for anybody still listening, you must really like us. But uh, if you like gear stuff, here's a gear thing for you, dude. Right now, I am like ridiculously happy with my climbing system. Like I am loving like the Wild Edge step with the five step aider, which I know you're not the biggest fan of, but dude, I dude, <laughs> I. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, dude, it is awesome. So I'm walking in. This is what I've I've started doing. I'm walking in, and I got the Wild Edge bag, like, slung around my shoulder, and I'm just walking with it. And it's only four steps, so it's not big at all. You can cinch it up. It's out of the way. It doesn't make any noise. I'm walking in the woods. I got my bow in one hand, and my other hand is free because everything else is in my pack. Um, So I walk in, find my spot, find my tree. Then I find my tree. All I have to do is tie my pull rope to my bow and set my bow on the ground. And then I take my first wild edge step out. Don't have to take my backpack off or anything like that. I can just like start as soon as I get to the tree. So stick that first one on there, uh, like just above head height, put the aider on it, shimmy up the aider, do it again, you know, go up to the second step. So now I'm, these two steps are like, I don't know, 10 feet up roughly or so, or probably probably a little bit more than 10 feet actually. Um, and then what I've been doing is just put the net, the last two steps up like one at knee height and then one at chest height and then climbing up those and then putting my platform on and that's getting me right at 20 feet. So four steps, I have, I move the aider one time. So the aider stays on the second step and then I put the next two on normally and then I slap the platform on and it's taking me like seven minutes. Dude, it is, and it is like, I have never had a climbing system so quiet. It is ridiculous how quiet it is when I go up that tree. Like, the loudest part is me setting my bow on the ground. And then once I leave the ground, there is not a sound, dude. It is awesome. So, I haven't had enough time to start hating it. I'm sure something will go wrong eventually. But, man, I'm I'm digging it right now. It is It is fast. It's quiet. It's light. It's compact. I'm like, I'm all jacked up about it. Yeah, the the only thing I mean, dude, how many how many steps did you get? Eight. Yes, I have eight. I only use four of them though. Sweet. So you said so. You're saying I can I can borrow the other four, all right? Yeah, yeah. You just gotta you just gotta <laughs> learn how to use them, bro. <laughs> no, but the the only thing I'd be kind of worried about, which it doesn't happen often, but it, it happened to me a couple times last year, is like you are limited to like the size of tree you can climb with them, as in like how small you can go. Now, I, what that what is, is true? Have you? 
I was, but I mean, what was? Didn't you say you tried to climb one tree that was like it was just too small? Did that happen, or did you like test them on a tree that was too small? Nah. Like what size diameter do you think that tree has to be? Like what's the minimum size diameter you think it has to be for you to be able to use the steps? Oh man, I'm gonna say probably like even it really held them to be honest. Um, man, it's it's kind of hard to say. Uh, maybe five inches or so. I mean, you can get them in a really small tree. It just starts to get weird, you know, the farther you get up the tree and everything and, and kind of what well, the tree what is I'm looking saying. like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to like go out and actually test that. I will say this. You can get in a smaller tree than you'd expect. Cause the step is like wider than the standoffs. So like the, yeah. you, you're only going to be able to get on a tree, you know, like, at, like bigger around than the standoffs obviously but you're gonna need like a little bit of space so they bite into something and they don't like like if they're biting too much into the side of the tree i'm doing a terrible job of explaining this uh if the tree's too small it'll like fit in between the standoffs is what i'm getting at so you got to mm-hmm. find something like decently large i'd say probably five inches is the smallest you could possibly do something like that yeah um, five inches at honey yeah, five um, five inches so, at hunting height. Yeah, so like where I'm getting with that is like the t- the deer I shot uh, the tree I shot that deer in Tennessee, my buck in Tennessee on a uh, piece of uh, private I had. Um, that tree for sure at hunting height. I was using a ring of steps. And I think I only I took three of the steps off to make it fit on that tree. <laughs> uh, so so I was only nine feet up. So. I was using one little stick at the base and then I was using a sign approach steps going up the side and it was small, dude. Like, it was, it was pretty sketchy. I mean, it wasn't like flexing climbing up, but it was like where I was at. I feel like I could like with the saddle, like swing backwards, swing forward and like shake the tree. Um, oh yeah. But it, it, it was tight, dude. It, it was super tight. But other than that, I don't think I hunted in, any small tree like, okay like that cedar you climbed in last year could you get that uh the, the the cedar on that tennessee public land that you climbed the itty bitty tree could you get the standoff do you think you could get the wild edge on that oh man yes i think that I- was like it was it was less it was more narrow than from your pinky like it was i don't know it was narrow it was a tiny little tree yeah, the the problem I'd run into with that, I think I could get the steps on it. I think I could, cause because uh, I was able to get the lone wolf sticks on it, which they're obviously they're different. But I remember there being like enough room for those, where it's like really comfortable. Uh, like the tree, like the stick bit into the tree so well that the sticks didn't even move like at all, because uh, it like fit inside of the standoff on the stick. Um, but I, I would run into a problem with my platform because my platform would not go in that tree for sure. Cause it's just like the way that bracket is designed and everything, it wouldn't work. But I don't know, dude, we're it, like I said, it, it's, it still has to be tested. Um, I haven't ran into anything yet. I have found out one thing though about those wild edge steps. Uh, if you're familiar with trees, a poplar tree is like the best tree ever to get in with those wild edge steps, dude. Like they're solid. They don't, they don't shift. They bite the crap out of the tree. It's quiet. The bark's not flaky or anything and flipping off everywhere while you're trying to climb up. It, it's like, it's perfect. It's like the tree made for climbing down here. It's awesome. So hopefully I'll shimmy up a poplar tree nice and quiet next to that pine thicket on Tuesday and shoot me a big old buck. But dude, speak about climbing, 
we're going to be testing the climbing system hopefully in the next couple of weeks or so for this fall. Yeah, new climbing system. Do you want to do you want to like tease that a little bit? Nah, not really. <laughs> that's enough of a tease, but they're going to be legit. Yeah, uh, they're going to be they're going to be pretty slick. We'll leave you with that. You'll you'll find out about them eventually, but anyways, uh you got anything else, Jakob? Yeah, dude. So this weekend, um as long as everything works out, uh I should be in Tennessee this weekend chasing bucks, so I'm pretty fired up. Atta boy. So these open Saturday, and I'm still torn on what piece of public I'm going to go to. I don't know if I want to go back up to West Tennessee where we did the velvet hunt, <clears throat> which I think would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, I know the beans by f- probably for sure 100% guarantee they're going to be already turned. But if they have cut the corn or about to cut the corn, it should be ridiculous. So, no, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just torn on what I want to do. So. Yeah, I hear you, dude. Well, um, if, people, if people are out there following our socials and everything, they'll they'll get to see that hunt unfold before their very eyes. So, yep. That being said, make sure y'all follow us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Southern Outdoorsman. Check us out. Also, there's a little shout out. We're gonna be doing. Uh, <clears throat> I think we're gonna be doing weekly giveaways this fall. I don't know when they're gonna start. It depends on when we get everything in. But we're starting to do a run of merchandise, guys. So um, if y'all want to win uh, some some really freaking legit Southern Outdoorsman merchandise, uh, you'll be able to get that through the giveaways every week. So once we get all that in, we'll kind of figure out how we're going to structure everything. But <clears throat> it ought to be pretty fantastic. So super pumped about that. But uh, other than that, man, I really appreciate uh, no, but for Cody coming on and kind of giving us his perspective on Delta hunting, dude. It's pretty legit, and that's definitely a place I would love to hunt sometime in the future. That wraps it up, folks. Stay safe. We're one Monday closer to deer season. Uh, if you're already deer hunting, send us a picture of your dead deer. We'd love to share it on our page. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.